when you look at enough opportunities and you see enough things, when that one walks across your desk, it wasn't a let's think about it. It was, wait a minute, I can use my skill set in order to create jobs, get my investors ROIs and, and make a better, healthier world. Like you just say yes and figure it out. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Build Your Network podcast, the only top-rated show committed to helping you grow your business, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Let's get into the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I am sitting down with a friend of mine, Justin Sloan. Justin is the CEO of Sloan Capital, a private equity company focusing on investing into real estate, venture, and currently helping scale Everbowl, which is an Aussie Bowl franchise across multiple states. Guys, I met Justin in a mastermind that both of us are in, and we got to talking, uh, talk to him about his story and where he came from, what he's up to now, and thought it would be a really cool interview to bring on the show. So Justin, what's up, dude? Welcome. It's good to see you, man. I still remember the first time that we met at one of those breakouts, and you kind of told me your thoughts on podcasts. And it's changed my life forever. So uh, uh-huh. I appreciate it. I mean, it's, it's just a, it's a very cool business way and a different thought process that you have for generating and, and growing. So very cool to hear and meet people that look at things differently. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, that's why we're in masterminds, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's like the definition of a mastermind. It's always funny <laughs> to me because I meet people, you know, and they're, they'll complain about this mastermind group that they were in or something and they didn't get this piece that they thought they were going to get and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, you look at the fact that like they, they connected with like 12 different people and like they, they started a business with somebody that they met in the group. And it's like, I think you're missing the point <laughs> of masterminds. Like it's, yeah. not, like it's not just like learning something. It's all the people that are also there that are paying to be in the room that are excellent connections and people to get to know. Um, Absolutely. To your point. So I want to uh, have my audience get to know you a little bit more since we've had the opportunity to connect a few times in person, kind of one-on-one. So Let's rewind the clock, bro. 11, 12-year-old Justin Sloan, set the scene for us. Tell us about what it was like growing up being you. So grow up, two brothers, single mom. So kind of hustle from early on. My mom was always kind of one of those moms that had six, seven, eight different jobs from you know serving during the day or delivering newspapers in the afternoons and all these kind of different things. And so kind of grew up under that hustle culture. Um, had my own job when I was 13. And you know, by 15, 16, you start paying for food and you quickly realize, hey, let's uh, you know find some new ways to make some dollars. And so, late in high school, I started selling some cell phones and enjoyed wait, wait, so that. What, what did you do when you were thirteen? Everything. I mean, well, anything that I could, right? Which was deliver papers, help my okay. mom. You know, she sold Avon, so we'd go run little boxes around or different order. You know, anything that we could that kind of helped with the overall family, and then you know we'd get little bits of it too as we grew. So uh, you know, and then from there, at fourteen, I was washing dishes. At 15, I worked at Chuck E. Cheese, you know, so go through the normal, you know, jobs as kids, right? And actually, so when I was uh, 17, I worked at Radio Shack for a little bit. And that's kind of where I found the love of selling things. And I was kind of good at it. And I was working in a mall and, you know, cell phones were kind of up and coming. And, you know, people had them, but they weren't fancy. They were basic phones, you know, no color screens or anything like that. And I just kind of was in the right place at the right time where going down the path of, of selling phones made sense. And so while I was a senior in high school, I would go to school every day till you know 1 or 2 o'clock at the latest. And then I would go work until 9pm at the mall selling phones. And then I'd be back and doing it the next day and uh, ended up you know a year later running a store, another year later running another store. What were you making senior of high school? Enough. I remember when my mom saw my W-2. 
I remember that day like it was yesterday because it was more than single mom of three boys brought in. Cell phones were really lucrative. And I also had that mentality of going and really hustling, you know, commission-based things where you can make 30, 40, 50 bucks a phone. And as a senior in high school, go sell two, three, six of them every night. You know, it 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 piled up pretty quickly. And I remember it was, you know, it's crazy being 18 and getting a few thousand dollar commission checks sometimes but also working 40 plus hours while in school and growing and figuring out, you know, and I made every bad decision I could with the money. Don't get me wrong. I mean, obviously <laughs> I made it and it was gone before I know it, but that's yeah. one of those good lessons too. That's yeah, funny. Uh, when you make money in high school, you feel like you're balling no matter <laughs> yeah. how, what the amount is, you know, it could be like two grand and it's like, I am rolling. Oh yeah. You can buy <laughs> unlimited everything until yeah, you make like, like two things. I can yeah. buy my own video games now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so selling cell phones, and you said you started. You started yeah, so that so after a couple of years of doing that, I kind of maxed out my position there, and the company was expanding, and there were some new territories and some areas where they thought they needed stores, and so I took every penny in my bank account and went and opened the first location, and I was the only employee for a few months, and you know we had some simple so, cabinets and some slat so real, walls. Real quick, real quick. So, th- so this was this was a like a franchise of the authorized dealer. You know, so basically, you know, they helped provide the inventory and I sold their plans. It was commission only. So if we didn't sell anything, we didn't make anything. But if we sold some stuff, you know, we did. And and given my history working at the corporate stores, I was able to kind of understand where some of their gaps were. Um, So as I built my store and my brand, we actually had our stores look just like corporate stores but they'd have a few more accessories and we'd have, you know, repair stations and things like that inside of there that was a little earlier. And we ended up, you know, growing that brand over the next 12 years uh, to a ton of locations and lots of employees and, you know, uh, ran uh, a great business out of it. 12 years. Yeah. Starting with selling cell phones as a junior, senior in high school. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, 12 years of owning my own. So probably 15 altogether selling. But 12 years on my own, yeah. Was college or different career paths ever a thought or an option yeah, so for you? I, or was entrepreneurship like always like, this is just what I'm going to keep doing? Yeah. So I my plan was to go to college. I didn't like the idea of it. I kind of fought it early on. But it's like, you know, it's the thing you have to do. Yeah. And all the family members are telling you how important it is and all this kind of stuff. Actually, while I was working selling cell phones, uh, I graduated high school and went to college. And thought that I loved computers and wanted to repair computers and I loved fixing things. And I quickly learned within, you know, a couple of weeks of being in classes that this was not something, you know, like sitting back <laughs> in a in a, you know in an office and talking with people over the phone and troubleshooting stuff just wasn't my personality. And so the day before midterms, I dropped everything and went back to working. And yeah. and, and that's at that point is when I took on another store. Um, grew some more with the company and went from there. But yeah, I mean, and what's funny is a few years later, after I owned my own business for, I want to say probably five years or so, I actually made a run at going back to college again. So I'm a double college dropout, um, (laughs) which is good. But, you know, it's kind of the same. It was the same idea. At that point, I had made a lot of business mistakes. You know, I was a 22 year old kid starting my first thing. And, you know, you go through the school of hard knocks. Fortunately, the business was lucrative enough that the mistakes that we made were things that we could figure out and get through. But I really wanted to go back to school to learn about business. 
you know, to learn about how do I not make these mistakes in the future? And then, you know, when you go back to school for business, you have to start with math 102 and art appreciation and, you know, the basic entry things. I'm like, wait a minute, I just want to talk about law. I want to talk about hiring people. I want to talk about, you know, P&Ls and, and yeah. you know, all this kind of stuff. But there was two plus years of... Bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just an incredible waste of my time. Yeah. And I was still running the business and the business was growing. So made the decision again that that just wasn't going to be where the ROI was. And, you know, it was kind of one of those... I had a little, like a little chip on my shoulder. Like it felt kind of weird being, you know, everybody else was graduating high school and having these, you know, going off. But now looking back, I'm so grateful that I didn't pigeonhole myself down that path. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's hard to go back to school when you realize that you're like making more doing something that it had that doesn't require the degree than you would make if you paid to go to school and finished the degree for the degree. It's like, yeah. well, it's like, well, at the end of the day, what is this doing for me? And like you said, you can't just go to learn the thing that you want to learn. It's like they make you do all the other stuff that you you know, got to do beforehand just to yeah. get to the stuff that you actually really want to learn. And it's like, I understand some of that, but at the end of the day, I don't understand some of that. Yeah, it's just like, I don't, like, why, why, why do we then, have to yeah. do all these other things? Like, but then you talk with your friends that did get the fancy degree and then they started their own business and you find out, hey, wait a minute, they never learned any of it either. Right. You know, yeah, the stuff that actually matters. They didn't learn yeah, anyway. Yeah. Exactly. Like they, which, they still have to do the which same forms stuff. Do, do you need to fill out and all this kind of stuff, you know, and business is, you don't realize you make a mistake. So you get a letter in the mail telling you you made a mistake. And then you got to figure it out and figure it out. And fortunately, I just won't stop trying to figure it out. Right, exactly. And especially if you're going to like a, you know, a junior college or like anything that's less than like a prestigious university where there's other benefits for going to school. Right. Yeah. If you go to get a Harvard MBA, you're not going to get a piece of paper. You're going to meet all the other people that are getting Harvard Absolutely. MBAs. You know what Absolutely. I mean? <laughs> like you, you that that's your co-founder when you leave school, whose parents have you know quarter billion dollar net worth or something like that. Exactly. Like those, that's the reason you're going to that program. It's not even just for the knowledge of the information. And if it is just for the knowledge of the information, you can hire that person. You don't have to be that person. Like you just need to know how to sell stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like yep. market and like, you know, run profitably inside of your business and you can go hire somebody that can run spreadsheets and operate Excel better than, you know, better than you're ever going to be able to. So yeah, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm totally on the same page with that. So you do this for 12 years owning your own store, a few more years total in cell phones, about 15 years. How did you leave? Like, was there an exit strategy for you when you were building? What made you decide, hey, I'm done with this? Uh, walk us through that kind of transition. Yeah. So the decision was kind of made for me. The company that we were selling was a smaller regional carrier. And they began to make some business decisions that kind of put some writing on the wall. So when it came time to upgrade towers to 4G and, you know, and, and do the things that were necessary... They sold off their towers and leased them back in order to be able to afford the upgrades. And then you started seeing some other cracks. And you know Apple wouldn't even sell them the phone because the towers wouldn't have that. So that company actually ended up losing about 30% of their customers in a very short period of time. And you, I mean, my eggs were all in that one basket. So we started to make pivots you know, and change how we ran our staffing models. You know, the business was paid off. There was no debt on it. 
And so it was kind of a, okay, rather than go open more cell phone stores, what is the pivot that we need to make in order to replace cell phone income? And I've always been one that lives under my means and you know invests and all that kind of stuff. But I started researching a lot of other business opportunities and franchises and everything. And I got into... And, and I ended up buying my first piece of real estate. So leading up to this point, you were basically investing everything back into the business. You, you, weren't, oh, yeah. you weren't like buying assets outside of it with personal income or anything. Like It was all just like... How can we open another store? Let's get to the next store. Let's get to the next store. Yeah, so I mean, at that point, our growth... like, let's start putting some money in other places. Absolutely. Yeah. So we got, we went to the phase where you're snowballing your own thing and it's amazing. And then at one point, it wasn't, yeah. you know? And yeah. I remember that moment so well where you realized, oh shit, I put all my eggs in the wrong basket. But now it's like, it's like a joke and it's, a, it's an obsession of, my, of mine to see how many different places we can be invested into now. Because we had, you know, when you're that all in and they make those kind of shifts, it was brick wall. I mean, absolute brick wall, slam the brakes, redo everything and, and yeah. refigure it out. And we still had a good business. You know, we had a lot of customers. We had a lot of, we, we, we had been in the business for a long time. And over the next few years, we just, instead of opening another cell phone store, I would buy a rental house or I would buy a fourplex. And I had a property manager. So on my day off, I'd go tour this or repaint a house or, you know, again, that kind of hustle mentality. And all of a sudden it was like, there's a rental house and there's a rental house. And then boom, this, a strip mall that I owned one of the stores in. It's like, wait a minute, I could pay myself rent back. Yep, mm. I'm in. So I bought that. Uh, another rental house, another rental house. And you know, over the course of that couple of years, the company continued to make some not wise decisions. And essentially, I went through a walking down, winding out phase and had bought enough investments um, and real estate and, and been part of other things where I could now live passively off of my properties. Mostly single family. Yeah. At that point, you know, at one point, we got up to almost 30 single family houses, a few apartment okay. buildings... And now what I you know I'm down to my final one rental house that actually closes here in about a month and because over the last couple of years when everything kind of went crazy I kind of got out of it and you know it was it was definitely a smaller ones now we do a lot more strip malls you know dollar generals absolute triple net type of properties but back then it was yeah I was chasing around the the smaller units the $700 two bed you know one bath apartments and you know just continue on that grind so eventually Basically, just closed down all the stores. Yeah, I did a mixture of a couple of different things. I gave one to corporate and returned for a multi-year lease in that strip mall that I owned. Right. Okay. Uh, a couple other ones, you know, we just closed down or gave away. And then the final store I worked in by myself the last five or six weeks. And anytime somebody would walk in, you know, I'd give them every accessory we could for the phone, high five them, root, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then finally, on a random day at the end of the month, I went in for the opening shift. And at the end of the night, there was nothing left in the store and the key was gone. And I went home and went to my mailbox for real estate instead. Wow, crazy. So so then what made you turn that into like, hey, this is what I'm going to do now? Instead of just like, oh, this is what I do for myself to make some extra income. It became obviously like now you have Sloan Capital and you invest money, you raise money, you invest for people. Was it just the obvious next step for you or was there something in between? Yeah, exactly. So I, it, it kind of starts with you know a knock on your door or a text message that hey, you know, can I be part of one of these deals? And it's like, yeah, you know, why wouldn't I? If I'm going to go buy something, why do I need to own a hundred percent of everything? You know, I mean, I owned a hundred percent of all my cell phone stores, and when things got a little weird, that kind of sucks. 
And so I just, I think that the world's better to fractionally own lots and lots of stuff. So I got, you know, I started researching syndications and creating some different groups. And a friend and I bought a property together. And, uh, and then we bought another property together and another. And then we added another partner and another one. And, you know, and you know, over time, people tell other people and tell other people. And it's nice to win, right? You know, when you win, you get people that refer you to other people. Now it's floated over into, you know, when we raise dollars for Everbull, it's very nice because the same people that have supported us in real estate and been part of that also now get to add some restaurants to their portfolio. And it's just a continual phase, right? We're continuing to try and scale while also being fair. You know, like I said, this is my income. We've yeah. built it enough where, you know, you'd want to make sure it's uh, growing at a fair pace, but also, you know, that you don't have to worry about going the other way. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So is Everbowl your first kind of foray then into the franchise world? Or had you done some playing other than the cell phone stuff? Yeah. Uh, so I've started a number of different businesses and some of them have been... you know, I mean, at the end of the day, a franchise is just a repeatable business. You sure. know, Essentially, whether you open one in Texas or California or New York or wherever, it's the same concept when you walk in there and repeating. So I had created a couple other businesses and invested into a couple things. You know, we owned a chain of DVD kiosks that were a competitor of Redbox way back in the day and found a company that made kiosks and bought them and worked out deals with grocery stores and like all these kind of different things. And then, uh, you know, from just from there, continue to compound. Yeah. So tell me about how you got involved with Everbull then. Um, and we'll talk about like kind of the deal structure that you have set up right now that's super unique. 
talk to me about like the initial, like how did you first get in contact with it? Was it through the, the, the group or did you find it, the group through Everbowl or like how did that all come about? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm fortunate that I know Fleischman from 15 ish years ago and kind of keep in contact and stuff. So I saw that he was throwing the mastermind. How, how, you how know, did you guys and, know each other? Uh, so I used to semi pro play poker forever ago, you know, lived in some poker houses over, you know, during world series, you know, 15 years ago, used to live in some poker houses and, you know, there'd be 15 guys playing cards 20 hours a day. And who was there every once in a while? Dan Fleischman, you know, because he owned Victor or, uh, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And he was a yep. big scene um, in the middle of it. So got to know him a little bit. And then we've kind of just kept up here and there throughout the years, or I've watched him. And I thought that, you know, I've never been part of a mastermind or anything like that. It seemed kind of goofy and cheesy. But it's the timing made a lot of sense. You know, it was right in the middle of COVID, January of 2020. And I see him post something about, you know, getting a group of people together and talking about business and investing and the world's weird. And, you know, but we still have to continue to take care of our businesses and grow. And so, literally, like two days before this thing, I say, yep. And I get a flight to Phoenix. And all of a sudden, I'm with 80 other people, including yourself, talking at high levels of which I've never experienced in my life. Like you said, people that are paying want to be there, want to learn, want to grow their networks, want to help each other. And now here we are almost two years later, and we're doing a podcast together, right? Because it creates these friendships uh, that just keep going. So went to the uh, mastermind in Phoenix. And the final day, as you know, um, he rented out the Diamondback Stadium for all 80 of us. And Everbowl was set up there along the first baseline. And I had my first Everbowl right there. Um, I had never tried it before. But this weird kind of moment happened. I I call it my slumdog millionaire moment, which seems so cheesy. But if you go back to the businesses that I've built, you know, I built a chain retail business, locations as far as four hours apart from each other driving you know, high, high training. So, you know, training staff members is four to six weeks. I'm sorry, four to six months to get them fully up and going. Wow. And, you know, cause you got to learn every problem of every phone and every plan and every, everything before you can really. And so then when, and, and then on top of that, I've got a big history in remodeling, you know, with owning the strip malls that I own and rental properties, I'm used to flipping stuff, dealing with contractors. And so when I found this company, I was like, wait a minute, we could invest in the corporate side of it. We could, you know, potentially have the rights to an area, a territory, and then, you know, use the skills that I have with construction and business management to grow this thing pretty crazy. So I flew out within a week or two. I flew back to San Diego and spent a couple of days with the entire Everbowl team, and we went and you know visited a bunch of stores and worked and you know got trained on everything and learned all the back end. And just it just seemed like this was the next thing that it just makes so much sense to wake up in the morning and go open some more acai bowl shops. Yeah, right. So you jumped in and jumped in like full force. I didn't know you also put some money in the corporate side. So you put some money in the corporate side. And then you basically own all of the rights to any Everbowl opening in the state of Texas. Is that correct? Yeah. So I bought the rights to Texas and created a deal where we'll launch X amount over X period of years. And then, you know, literally within, you know, six weeks of that was in Dallas and scouting inventory and signing leases and scheduling our first grand opening. And from that grand opening, signed our first franchisee. And, you know, now we're opening one a month, give or take and continuing to grow from there. So 
Yeah, it definitely went zero to 100 really quick. But that's also part of this whole, you know, when you look at enough opportunities and you see enough things, when that one walks across your desk, it wasn't a let's think about it. It was, wait a minute, I can use my skill set in order to create jobs, get my investors ROIs and, and make a better, healthier world. Like you just say yes and figure it out. Yeah, well, when you when you scope so many deals, you've been doing something for so long, it's more obvious which ones are the ones that are going to be good ones. You know, yep. like when you're first getting started, you like, you know, you're you're doing you're doing the MLM hustle. You know what I mean? Like you're you're just like whatever whatever can make me money, yep. let's do it. And you don't have any ability to discern between opportunities. Yep, and then you do it a few times. You make a few mistakes. You fail a couple of times. You start figuring out like, oh, that opportunity wasn't right for me because of X, Y, and Z. Or that one was a scam. That one wasn't a scam, but I didn't enjoy it very much. And that one, like, I couldn't really get behind the mission. I had trouble selling that. You know, and it's just like you learn over time. And then you find something that like, I'm aligned on every single one of these. Like you said, to your point, you don't, you don't have to take forever to figure out that this is a good move. Um, and then, and so, so you bought the rights and everything. And so full disclosure, I'm also an investor in Everbull um, on the corporate side. You know, it's my first ever angel investment and I'm really happy that I made it. I wish I could have put more money in in the deal at the time. But you have a really cool structure now that allows people to invest in multiple Everbull stores without having to become a franchisee and like be an operator of a store and outside of the 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 corporate structure itself because they're actual funds that you control and manage. So if somebody's listening right now and they're like, hey, you know, this Osable thing sounds interesting. Um and it's growing like crazy. Drew Brees just signed on to do what, a hundred stores, 150 stores or something. He just bought a couple more states. So yeah. um it's crazy yeah, expansion. It's um Round of funding recently, some distributions as investors. A lot of really cool, exciting things happening with the with the business, and uh, and then you're one of one of the the biggest players and operators inside of the franchisee organization. So, talk to us about the structure that you guys have set up. If somebody's listening to this and they're like, "Hey, I kind of you know I'm interested in being maybe a potential capital partner," what does that look like for them? Yeah, so you know, there's two ways that you can grow this, right? You can go to a bank. And you know, do the normal loan and spread it over five or whatever years, and and that. Or there's the option of doing kind of a crowdfunding. And I, you know, Everbull has some really unique ways that help get stores open for quite a bit lower cost than our competitors and what most people have. So with that, actually gives us the ability to build a pretty lucrative structure um, where we can raise a, a portion of money and give true ownership to people that commit those dollars. So then, you know, rather than writing a check to Apple or Netflix and who knows what they do with the money, you know, I just this morning I sent out floor plans and the, you know, here's exactly the look of one of our newest stores where our investors, if not for them, this space doesn't get built. We don't hire people. We don't sell bulls. And then as we get open, it's really simple and there's no debt on the location, so it's pretty easy to pay out the uh investors because we're not a debt-ridden company. And so we built basically... a Over the last 18 months, have built a conveyor belt of restaurants where at all times, we're taking on some dollars. Uh, well, I shouldn't say we're all... It's kind of take on dollars for three stores, go find those sites, work with our GCs and our, con- our construction crew and get them built out, turn it over to operations, start making distributions and just kind of go from there. But the fun part of this has been allowing more people to be part of it. I think a lot of people love owning parts of things and being parts of things. 
And I love it too. You know, I love going to the grocery store and saying, oh, I own 0.01% of this company. Or like I said before, I drive by a building and it's like, I own 67% of that and 42% of that and 12% over here. Because that's us using... Well, but it's using our dollars in ways that is really easy to understand. You know, when you buy a building, it's, hey, the building all rents for this much. Here's your mortgage, taxes, insurance, repairs, and here's what's left. You know, angel investing or investing through stocks and all these can be a little bit more uncertain. You know, you don't quite know where they're putting the dollars. You don't quite know how they're going to exit. You don't quite know. But I can tell you every bull that we sell has a profit, you know, has a profit margin of X to X. And if you invest X, you own X percent. So every single time a bull is sold, you should expect X percent in distribution. And it just keeps it simple. And then what I really enjoy, like I said earlier today, I just sent out because I try and over communicate to our investors. You know, as we're signing leases, as we're doing grand openings, as we're building out these stores, you know, this is real dollars that are being put to work from people that trust us. And I love to show them the process and make them part of it because while they might be doing whatever job that they're really good at, they want to also be part of investing into maybe it's their own community, maybe it's just another thing that they want to be part of. And they're creating jobs, you know, they're serving healthy meals, they're doing their part. And then obviously, it's good from a branding standpoint to have lots and lots of people that are winning and want the brand to win because this brand is going, I mean, you know, it's going some really incredible spots. And if we can make more people part of it, that's what I want to do. Yeah, winning is fun, but winning together is awesome. You know Absolutely. I mean? So uh, that's uh, definitely recommend if you're if you're listening to this, watching this, um, you have any interest in uh, participating in what Justin's talking about, uh, definitely reach out to him. What's the best place for people to get a hold of you or to talk about potentially uh, jumping on as a capital partner? Well, first, thank you. So my website Sloan-Capital.com or Instagram if you just want a direct message. Uh, Sloan Capital right on there. So I'm I'm decently active, not as much as I should be. <laughs> yeah, are, are we all? Sloan-Capital.com or just at Sloan Capital over on Instagram. Shoot him a DM. Tell him what's up. Tell him you heard about him here on the show. And uh, just jump on a call. Like, like That's the thing uh, was people like Justin is like, the opportunity is good enough where he doesn't have to like jump on a call and try to convince you to be a part of it. It's like, it's numbers driven. It's data driven. The company's growing like crazy. And uh, it's frankly just a really good opportunity. So if you have questions about it, uh, just jump on a call. He'll answer the questions. And then if you don't want to do it, don't do it. If you do want to do it, do it. Um, it's, it's not overly complicated. Just jump on the call because you never know what can happen from it. Um, and worst case scenario, you walk away with a quality connection with a quality person like Justin. So reach out to him uh, and, uh, and uh, maybe try to do some business together. Justin, dude, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Always a pleasure to reconnect with people in the context of a podcast because I selfishly get to learn a lot more about you and your story and all the things that you've come from and uh, and accomplished, which is always fun for me. So I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and, and truly appreciate getting to know you over the last couple of years and see what you're building uh, with the team and everything. Congratulations. Great to see you again, bro. We'll, we'll chat soon. Awesome, thanks. Hey, hey, thanks for listening to this episode. That's it for today. As you all know, this show is completely free. Our only ask is that if you found anything valuable in this episode or in any of the episodes that you've listened to, then share it with somebody else and leave us a quick rating review in whatever platform you're listening to right now. It would be super, super helpful for us. Uh, so that's it for today, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Catch you next time. <laughs>